We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Before we get started with the show, I just want to remind everyone that if you're following a team in 2019, it certainly can be time-consuming. You wake up in the morning, you're on the go, and you're trying to follow everything that happened in sports the night before. It's almost impossible. That's why what I do is I subscribe to Axios Sports. Go to sports.axios.com. You get the best free daily newsletter in the land. It's a modern sports page that's delivered directly to the email inbox. It's the first thing I read when I get up in the morning. When you sign up for free at sportsaxios.com, you get the best stories from the NBA. NBA, NFL, cricket, ping pong, everything you could imagine. Axios Sports also highlights the most important stats and trends and gives you the ability to stay informed and it's free. Go to sports.axios.com and join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins. Best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. This is a free curated sports content delivered directly to you in your email box. Sign up at sports.axios.com. Again, try it for free, sports.axios.com. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag of Rotoviz Podcast. This is the October 11th episode, and we, as always, are dedicated to answering all of your fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Rant. And today we are talking to one of the Mount Rushmore people for fantasy football, Sean Siegel, one of the true fantasy football legends, author of the original Zero RB article. He's the NFFC primetime grand champion, 11-time main event champion, and also the co-owner here at Rotoviz, and he's the co-host of the Rotoviz Overtime Podcast with Colin Kelly, which is absolutely in my rotation. Follow him on Twitter at FF underscore Contrarian. He's ready to preview week six, a follow-up to what was the greatest week five in fantasy football history could have been. Welcome to the show, Sean. A pleasure and honor to have you on the bag. Oh, well, thanks for having me. It's always great to be here. This is one of 
our best podcasts and always one of the most fun listens, I think. And yeah, it's, it's great to be on after a week like week five, which I think gets everyone really fired up. If you weren't already, we, you know, week five really got your fantasy juices flowing. Absolutely. And you did a, a fantastic article, one of the many great articles we have here at Rotoviz about week five. We'll get to that in a minute. But I do want to start with you as a Mount Rushmore person. I've asked all the experts how they got their start in fantasy football, how they first got into fantasy football. Of course, you had that incredible piece, Zero RB, Anti-Fragility, and the Myth of Value-Based Drafting. But when was the first time, Sean, where you really said, you know what, I think I can sort of make something out of my analytical mind and fantasy football? It, it started basically the same way I think it's, it starts for everyone, where just playing fantasy football was so much fun. And so, you know, you start playing with your friends, and then you get to the point where even if your home league is great, and for most people that you know, that is the league that they want to win the most. You simply cannot make enough trades in your home league to uh, sort of uh, state your appetite for, for fantasy football. And so I started playing in some of these different satellite types of leagues and exploring with, you know, sort of these PPR formats and what the different opportunities there were. And so I got to where, uh, between sort of 2008 and 2012, you know, I was playing 20, 30, uh, a couple of years, like 60, 70 leagues a season. And when you do that many different drafts, I really do think that it helps. It gives you a lot of experience in a hurry. And you start to see some of these places where they're just big, exploitable opportunities. And we've come so far from that now. I and mean, we're 10 years down the road from that 2008, 2009, 2010 time period. But at that point, especially, it was very clear that there were some big holes. And that if you drafted a lot of wide receivers early and kind of went away from this idea that the market forces you to draft running backs that you could put together these power teams that would just hammer the opponents, especially you get into the middle of the season and you just have a big gap in what you're scoring each week. And so took that into some higher stakes leagues, you know, played some of these 350 leagues and then played some of the, the true main event level entries. And the 2012 season was actually very, very good for me as well before sort of that big breakout in 2013, won a number of main events. And that led to, you know, that with the kind of the fun early site money into the data stand, you know, led to the sort of hookup with Frank and with Rotoviz. And, you know, at that point, still writing about zero running back and some of these types of things that you could do, you know, was knew it was controversial, certainly suggesting that you could do it in high stakes formats and not just that it was sort of a pivot play, but that it was actually an approach that would give you really this dominant advantage. You know, that was something people were skeptical about. Now, you know, we go through stretches where people are skeptical about it again and go through time periods where people feel like it's been debunked when, you know, in fact, I just, I really feel like it's the other way. I'm incredibly biased, obviously, but we looked at the, the best ball workshop pieces from this season and the incredible tools that Mike Beers has put together. And it's really laid out for you there the way that drafting running backs in so many of those early rounds uh, hurts your win rate, crushes your roster construction. And so every year it's different. Every year it's interesting to see what's happening right now. Some of those early running backs are doing quite well. And so 
it'll be interesting to see as we move throughout the season, you know, what the final takeaways are. But yeah, that's that was sort of the progression was was playing a lot myself and seeing how in real leagues that strategy could work. It's funny because some have worked out and some have not, like Joe Mixon, who was a late first round pick. And and you reminded me of when I started fantasy football, first got into it. I was talking to some other people who were giving me advice. And I remember sort of, you know, stopping in my tracks when they said, oh, you're late first round, you have to take Marshawn Lynch. And and this was back in the Buffalo years. And I said, I I don't know if that's really a first round level pick. Now, of course, he ended up being beast mode and had a fantastic career. But your point is well taken in that it just seemed like it was Pavlov's dogs. Everyone was taking running back, running back, running back. So to sort of be out ahead of the curve and sort of flip it and go with a different strategy, the contrarian, which is appropriate for your Twitter handle, that really paid off, right? It did. And And it just depends on how people look at it in terms of how much credit they want to give to it or what their level of skepticism and what the bar that you have to get over in order to convince people that this is this is a viable approach. There have been so many different times in in draft chats and that kind of thing. You, you play the different high stakes leagues, and those chats tend to be, you know, very calm. People are just making their picks. You know, it's it's not people you necessarily know, and so it's not that banter kind of thing. But I remember in 2013, and this is after. I mean, this is before the article comes out, before the big wins uh, in that season. You know, finishing first and second in that format. Uh, but after a 2012 that was very favorable for. Zero running back, had a bunch of wins, and and really from that 2009 to 2012 period had done very well. And I'm in this draft, and I picked Calvin Johnson and Jimmy Graham to start, and then several more wide receivers to our. I think my first running back actually was picked in round nine. Wow. And wow. there was a gentleman who started Trent Richardson, Maurice Jones-Drew, who really was all over me and was saying, <laughs> you know, you can't win with what you're doing. And I'm looking at that and thinking, you know, it's certainly not impossible that Trent Richardson has a good season. This was before, you know, he became the massive bust. Certainly it's not possible that Maurice Jones drew would have a good season. He was a very good player, right? But you have a more limited upside. You have so much more downside. You have more injury risk, all of those types of things. And you're not getting a legendary player like a Calvin Johnson. And certainly Jimmy Graham has, uh, you know, not been able to maintain what he was with the Saints. But if you have a Calvin Johnson, if you have a Saints Jimmy Graham, you know, at that tight end position that is so hard to fill. I mean, we can all do these things where we pick out certain leagues where we did well and someone else did poorly with a strategy that we don't like and say, okay, well, this this shows. And obviously it doesn't. But there have been a variety of those kinds of leagues where it's not like people are saying, okay, well, I prefer my running back heavy approach. And I think that, you know, you're going the wrong way. When people come out and take in information because we want to win, right? It doesn't matter um, like, oh, zero running back. You have to do it that way. You have to do it because you're associated with it. And, you know, that's sort of your advertising thing. No, I mean, we want our readers, elite running back cushions that give you a big advantage. You know, you want to be aware of that. And, you know, one of the other very controversial things in 2013, I wrote that, Adrian Peterson should not be a top five pick and he shouldn't have been and he didn't pay off, but because he was the top running back and because he was this, this hero, it, it, this reality running back who was such a star, you know, people didn't like that. 
But the fact of the matter was simply the, the scoring environment, what he was doing, you know, his expected points, that has changed. Right. And we have people like Barkley, certainly McCaffrey, who you know looks like perhaps the best running back since Barry Sanders. You've got an Alvin Kamara, you know, possibly a couple of other guys. If you're in that category in that section of the draft where you can take those people and you take a running back and then go with a bunch of wide receivers, that sets you up very well. And certainly we do recommend that if you're in that range. I was in a draft this year where I actually did start running back, running back, which, you know, I basically never do. I, I yes, do like that. that. That's, I, I can't believe I just heard that. Yes. Right. So I, I did start running back, running back. And then through the 20 rounds, I only took one more. And people thought that was crazy. And they said they'd never seen it, you know, couldn't win. And it was, and so this was a, a 350 level league, um, you know, not necessarily with all of the, the big headliners, you know, these top 10, 15 fantasy players in the world who, if you play a main event, you're going to run into a lot of those guys because the fact that they win all the time is a very good incentive for them to keep playing and, and playing at a high volume. You know, those guys would know me and would be like, well, Sean's doing something maybe we don't agree with, maybe a little bit weird, but obviously, you know, he's won some of these leagues in the past. This league was a little different, you know, maybe some people who aren't as familiar and, you know, the, the feedback in the chat again was just, it was pretty humorous because they were saying, you know, you've got three total running backs. You know, how are you possibly going to be competitive? And my whole thing was, if I'm going to start running back, running back, then I want to make sure I get the rest of those guys. And so one of the people that I fortunately have on that roster is DJ Chark. And so, you know, that's one of those guys who does yep. allow you then to to have that wide receiver firepower. The thing that I always am trying to get across to people is regardless of how you're approaching it, you have to structure your draft so you get those wide receiver points. It's not as easy as people think that it is. And having these guys who have the one week blow up every month, you know, number one, it's still not that many points. And number two, you know, do you have them in our lineup? I mean, we're going to talk about Will Fuller, but even there, I mean, look at how many times this season there were monster performances by people who maybe weren't even in your starting lineup. And so it's just so important to make sure we structure our teams so that we have points in the starting lineup and we have big time wide receiver points. Well, you mentioned Will Fuller. So let's turn our attention to that week five performance. So many great articles here on the site. You wrote one, Will Fuller and Aaron Jones headline the most epic week five in fantasy football history. And I do not think that that is hyperbole. I think that's very true. The one I want to start with was your prophetic article back on August 5th, where you wrote an article entitled, Will Fuller is healthy and ready to join the NFL. NFL's elite in 2019. Well, certainly he had three touchdowns, the monster performance, and he was tackled on the one yard line. So he could have almost had five touchdowns. Explain how you had that feeling about Fuller. You have him in so many leagues. You wrote about FFPC main event with Curtis Patrick. You have a team and of course the MFL 10 of death. Talk about Will Fuller and really about this week five in general. Well, week five was was so much fun. There, there aren't that many times that you, you get a 50-point performance from one of your players, even though – and I discussed this week, but we actually had the top three week five performances since the year 2000, you know, just this week. So that gives you a sense of, of how epic this week was and how many different stacked performances. One of the things that was tricky was that you could score a huge number of points and still lose and – it was frustrating because the team that has done the best for me so far has been a Christian McCaffrey um, Cooper Cup team. And that's sure. the only one of my main event teams that doesn't have Will Fuller. And so then I'm looking up the scores on Sunday and that team is playing against Will Fuller. <laughs> Bad luck. So that team did lose, uh, which, you know, not, not what we were hoping for there. You mentioned Fuller and he's a guy that we've liked since he was drafted 
a controversial draft pick because there were some questions about his hands, but his profile actually fit exactly, you know, what we're looking for and what we spend a lot of time about. You know, the site devotes a huge amount of time and research from January through the draft on the types of players who actually transition really well to the NFL. And Fuller fit that as a guy who was an early breakout, you know, good market share of yards, certainly for anybody who is in the smaller half. And Will Fuller is not a small receiver per se, but if you're not talking about these big monsters, you do want to have speed. And Will Fuller is blazing fast. And we see that all the time. There are a couple of faster guys in the NFL. Certainly Tyree kills faster. John Ross is faster. Uh, and Hill clear superstar. I don't think anybody gets behind the defense as well as Will Fuller. He's a little bit like a Deshaun Jackson who absolutely isn't yep. just a deep deep shot guy, right? That's totally true. That's an excellent comparison. And and if Fuller has had injury problems like Deshaun Jackson, but I agree. I, I think both of them have a multifaceted deep threat set. It's not just straight line. And so then Fuller, you know, you look at him and he's coming off this injury, which gives you perhaps this last buying opportunity. You know, the Texans are saying he's healthy. He's saying he's healthy. They say he looks fantastic, that his route running has improved, his hands have improved. And, you know, you go back and look, and one of those kind of things that's kind of fun that, you know, basically everybody knows about is that he has this huge split. You pull up the game split app, and you see that he scored 17 points a game with Deshaun Watson in the last couple of years, only five points a game without, which drags down that overall total. You know, if you were to say that he's going to be just the Will Fuller, uh, Deshaun Watson receiver and you're going to get those 17 points a game, which again, you know, we probably wouldn't expect that to be sustainable regardless. But if he could get to that level, then he would be this borderline wide receiver one type of player. Then you go a little bit deeper and you find out that, you know, yes, he has this elite vertical ability, but his numbers in the underneath range are also not bad. You pull up the AYA app and you see that when Watson targets him, he averages almost four adjusted yards per attempt more than even, say, with DeAndre Hopkins. His underneath numbers are good and are better than, say, Kiki Kuti, who was someone that a lot of people liked, and, I, and for good reason, right? But there were some concerns about if those guys could both get points. My thing was that I don't know that necessarily they can, but there's reason for optimism in that, number one, there's not a ton of overlap between their routes, but then number two, Fuller also is good underneath. And so I think the person who really uh, you should be worried about is probably uh, Kuti. And we don't really know if, if that exactly would have played out that way because of the injury. You know, when a guy's not healthy, it's not fair to say, oh, well, he, you know, I was right. He's not scoring. I mean, that's that's not really the way. I've got a league where I actually played them both this past week, and so I was glad to see the 10 points there from, from our second-year guy. But there was just so much coming together for Fuller, and then you go back and say, it's a first-round draft pick who profiles a potential star – you know, I think it's going to happen. But again, I mean, this is one of those situations where it's just always tricky with football. There aren't that many games. You can go through a stretch where the person doesn't perform quite as well. You go just one week back and you're looking at that article and saying, well, you know, Fuller is a bust and, and Sean was definitely not right on this one. So, uh, you know, we look at this and, and we certainly hope that, that Fuller can now extend this. Watson has looked so good and yet at other times so bad. And so, uh, you know, he scored the fantasy points. You come off of this past week, you know, that really balances out the rest of your season as it does for Fuller. But I'm interested to see what this team will do because they have been so hot and cold in the early going. Especially this week against the Chiefs because Hopkins is due. I mean, he certainly is due. Stills will probably be back. 
absolutely with Kuti as well, had the long catch. So I think this week is really a test for that to see if the Will Fuller truthers, and I'm one of them, are going to stay strong here against a prime matchup against Kansas City, even though it's in Arrowhead. I, I think that's a great point. Sean, there's two undefeated teams left, Patriots, 49ers. Patriots host the Giants this week, tonight in fact, and they seem to be a safe bet to get to 6-0. and But the 49ers have a tricky game coming off that huge blowout Monday night football win over Cleveland, and they have to go visit the Rams. San Francisco has one of those things that fantasy owners really hate, right? The ambiguous backfields, Matt Breida, Tevin Coleman, both had huge games on Monday. Talk about this backfield moving forward, and am I alone on Dante Pettis' truth or island? I feel like his snap share has gone up and he's coming, right? So you want to get those second half players who can really pop but talk about san francisco successful team doing well but sort of tricky to handicap for fantasy yeah this one is weird and and these kyle shanahan committees can always be both really exciting because if you look and (laughs) you dive into the fantasy points over expectation this running game is going to be efficient now they've had a few injuries and so there are some questions about if they start to face better defenses can they keep that up uh, sort of with what their personnel will be going forward but the efficiency numbers on these guys are crazy i think the thing here that was so incredibly frustrating certainly if you were a Brita owner in a bunch of leagues as as i am and, and i know a lot of rotoviz listeners are once tevin coleman went down over those next couple of games he actually came in third behind mostert and wilson in expected points right and a little bit of that was that wilson is getting these extremely high value carries at the goal line But Breed actually was behind Mostert in both rushing expected points and receiving expected points, you know, during that time period. So then you go to this past week and Tevin Coleman is out there and looks blazing fast. And one of the things that's exciting about this backfield is that Breida and Coleman are freakish athletes. And so, you know, any given touch, which we saw with Breida because he takes that first ball and, and goes the distance, you know, they can score, they can score from anywhere as long as they get the touches. I think that if you are an owner of this backfield, the only thing that you're really rooting for is that those touches will go to Brita and Coleman and not get split to even other people. And, you know, fortunately, that was the thing then this week. Coleman comes back. Mostert drops out of it in terms of the expected points. Now, he still did have a few. But to see the breakdown go to Brita and Coleman, as long as we can get that, I think people will be happy. You start to bring in the third and fourth guy, and then it gets pretty miserable. Yeah, I agree. The three-person backfield, it's like the old Parcells comment. You have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterback. If you have three running backs, you really don't have a fantasy backfield. The two is a lot better. I would like to see them get Pettis more involved. I, I just It's hard for me, Sean, to envision San Francisco continuing to have a, a successful season with an RBBC and a wide receiver by committee also. And listen, I know George Kittle dominates the targets there, but I feel like Goodwin is a little feast or famine. And I just think Pettis is the person going back to Shanahan in the preseason saying, listen, we have to get him going. We have to get him going. I feel like he is the guy who they're going to have to go to there. But it, it, it's hard, right? We're talking about a, a ground game that certainly is one of the top in the NFL right there with Baltimore. But someone in the in that receiving core is going to have value going down the stretch because, of course, the NFL teams will adjust and start stacking the line. And I, I just think it can be Pettis. And it seems like right now he's the guy who, if they have a, a more well-rounded player. So you've got Samuel, who's maybe a manufactured touch guy. Now, manufactured touches that could be still very exciting touches, but probably manufactured touches. Then you've got the deep threat in Goodwin, as you mentioned. 
Pestis is a tricky guy. And, you know, we profiled him in the second year of breakout players and mentioned both the strengths and the weaknesses. You know, his profile coming into the NFL was pretty weak for a second round pick. And then he had that first half of the season where he didn't do much. Then the snap count really jumps. He goes through that second half stretch where he's a very good player and looks like he might come out to be a star and then you get like you mentioned you know all the head games and all the things that are going on there then the question of is he healthy and how much did that play into those snap counts early i was joking around because you know i needed him to outscore kittle in uh, on monday night in order to win one of my big leagues and i needed him to score 13 points uh to to beat the the world's top fantasy player in another one of my leagues and it just you know you watch him and you're like i don't think that's going to happen and so and i was joking throughout the game that like every time they had a play basically that you know this would be a good place for a, a 50 yard pettis touchdown this would be a good place for a 70 yard pettis touchdown and then you get down toward the end of the game and you know obviously you're going to lose the fantasy matchup but you're like total points right Win loss is one thing, but in these main leagues, it's total points. This would be a good spot for like a 20-yard a Pettis touchdown. <laughs> he has the play. He's got the ball in his hands. Maybe there's a defender coming who can still tackle him, uh, but it looks like the touchdown, and he drops it without making really any kind of play on the ball. Uh, awful. Well, you know, that's... <laughs> That's the reason where maybe he's not the focal point or or one of the reasons. I think that you're right. You know, the snap count is moving in the right direction. The offense needs him. I have him on a number of teams, and so I'm certainly rooting for him to do well. I think that he will emerge, but at this point, it certainly does not look like he'll emerge to the level that perhaps we were hoping where he could be a second-year star. Ryan Collinsworth had a great piece on the site, a new article called The Jump Cut. It talks about Green Bay running back Aaron Jones. He had 27 touches, 182 yards, four touchdowns, incredible efficiency last week against the Cowboys. But it is worth noting that Aaron Jones does not usually reach that level when Jamal Williams has been healthy. And Sean, you talked about the Game Splits app. I've told my wife, I love her, I love the kids, and third is the Game Splits app because you can just go in and you can break things down very quickly. I put it out on Twitter this week. In the 24 games that Jamal Williams has played with Aaron Jones, Jones is averaging 50 rushing yards and 12 PPR fantasy points per game. In the three games that Williams has not been active, 25.6 PPR fantasy points per game, that's more than double, and 92 rushing yards, almost double. So Matt LaFleur likes to share time. We saw it last year with Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis. How do you feel about Aaron Jones Monday night against Detroit? And what about his projection rest of season? As you mentioned, I think that you have to love him. Will Williams is out in part because this offense is starting to look like the kind of offense where a running back could have a ton of goal line touches and then a ton of touchdowns. So that's what he did this past week. And the ceiling there clearly very high. And we talked about the running back dead zone. He was the one guy where he said, you know, if you do want to build a running back heavy lineup, you know, that's the guy to target in the third, fourth round area where running backs tend to really do poorly. And so I feel like we've gotten that one right to an extent. But the thing here that is really exciting, I think, beyond just what his upside might be without Williams, is the fact that for him to be a true star he's got to catch some passes. And that was a little bit of the red flag. Again, you mentioned Ryan Collinsworth, some of his uh, preseason articles on the running back position, absolutely fantastic, broke this down and demonstrated kind of which guys would need to catch more passes in order to be viable. You know, Sonny Michelle always comes in that conversation, but Jones is, is a guy also in that group. And for the first three weeks, he had eight targets, the last two weeks, 15 targets. And so 
the touchdowns tend to cover it up, but the really exciting thing for him is the potential receptions. Yeah, that's the key. And you're going to have to follow closely what goes on in that Green Bay backfield, which can be time consuming. But also what can be time consuming is trying to follow everything in sports. That's almost impossible. I hate scrolling through each app and trying to visit websites each day. So that's why I subscribe to Axios Sports, which is the best free daily newsletter in the land. It's a modern sports page. It gets delivered directly to your email inbox. Every morning I wake up, first thing I do is I look through that sports Axios email that I get. Talks about the best stories in the NBA and the NFL, cricket, ping pong, everything in between, and it gives you great stats and trends. And the best part about it, folks, is that it's free. You go to sports.axios.com. Not only do you get caught up, but you'll have a friend who's sharing an amazing link with your buddies. You'll be able to send that information out, and you'll be on top of all the sports stories. Join the over 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even starts. No paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. Sign up at sports.axios.com. And again, try it for free sports.axios.com. Sean, let's do a little buy-sell here. So players that maybe have underperformed a little bit at this point in the year, and the question is, do you see them turning it around? Are these trade targets, basically, or people that you're sort of staying away from? Jets are going to reactivate quarterback Sam Darnold off mono. Looks like his spleen is okay. He's going to come back. This is an offense that a lot of people liked early in the season. Le'Veon Bell, Robbie Anderson. Now Chris Herndon is going to stay out after his suspension. So is Sam Darnold a person who's a buy low for you at the Jets starting quarterback? I think he is, but it certainly depends on your format. He's not someone you're necessarily going to go out and target in redraft, even though uh, with all the injuries, certainly there are, there are a few teams who could be looking there. With Darnold, you're really hoping that what he does is allows Le'Veon Bell and Robbie Anderson to, to get those numbers up. If you have Anderson, you've been holding him you're kind of waiting to see a couple more weeks if this offense can turn around before maybe you even if Anderson was one of your earlier picks you might have to use that spot in a different way if the offense doesn't bounce back Le'Veon Bell fantastic workload exactly what we'll be looking for his efficiency numbers have to jump up a little bit here to make him worthy of that first round pick so Darnold is really the guy that fantasy owners are looking at for some of the other players on their team another quarterback that I'm high on this week is Jared Goff now I was totally wrong about the way the Rams Bucks game went a couple weeks ago I thought that Rams defense was going to step up and they had bad outings now back to back against the Seahawks as well But Jared Goff returning home, San Francisco on a short week. He's averaged 340 passing yards per game at home uh, over last year and this year with Sean McVay. Of course, he had the 500 passing yards. Where are you on Jared Goff moving forward? I may be a little bit biased because I have a lot of Gerald Everett, and I would like for what we saw last week to continue. You mentioned the defense. (laughs) Yeah, I think if the defense can be a little bit weaker and we don't have quite as many of these uh, sort of clock killing or inefficient running back plays, then Goff could really open things up. Obviously, Cup playing fantastic. Robert Woods, another one of those potential buy low kinds of guys. Even with the uncertainty surrounding Brandon Cooks, and certainly Cooks, another disappointment, but someone who could tear off you know four or five huge games in a row with his deep ability, his speed. You know, this offense, I would like to see them continue to emphasize the pass and emphasize Todd Gurley in the passing game as opposed to the rushing game. I think that's better for fantasy owners. And certainly this offense can be more explosive. Jerry Goff can score those points people were looking for if they'll just attack and get those playmakers on the field on pass plays. Full disclosure, Sean, this next one, I am biased because I have a lot of exposure to him. 
Chiefs running back LaShawn McCoy. Now, this backfield has been maddening to try to handicap on a week-in, week-out basis. Scott Pianowski of Yahoo put out on Twitter today that Damian Williams has been given 31 carries this year in an offense with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, and his longest run is six yards. I just don't understand why McCoy isn't getting more of the work, especially, you know, second half near the goal line. LaShawn McCoy, that running back, if someone were to get at least 60 to 65% of the touches, is definitely an RB1. But how do you feel about LaShawn McCoy rest of season? This is one of those backfields where you would just like to see the Chiefs decide on a runner and get him going, get him in a little bit of a rhythm. Now, the fact that all of these injuries have happened and the fact that Darrell Williams looks like the best running back that they have complicates matters so much because they're not necessarily wanting to go straight to their third string guy and admit that that's their their playmaker but this this team should be running the ball better now they do have a number of offensive line injuries they've got injuries you know on both of their lines that are starting to to really decimate this team it'll be interesting to see you know how they bounce back from you know what's really their first extremely poor performance in a long time McCoy it was it was kind of funny to see because when he first had that big fumble in the game last week I'm thinking okay that's because he just holds the ball out in his hand out in front of him and begs <laughs> defenders to knock it away yep. and then you kind of see the reverse angle and you're like okay well McCoy actually fumbled on one where on those very few touches where he actually did have the ball tucked in you know I don't know how much the fumble came into play I don't know how much the ankle came into play the fear that I would have as a McCoy owner, I only own McCoy one spot, but it's a main event that I co-own with with Ben Gretsch, which you know so many Rotoviz listeners will know as a, a former star for us and certainly a friend of the site. Uh, our team is doing pretty well, and if we got big time McCoy points, it would be a fantastic team. So, you know, like you said, the bias here, I just I don't really know that it makes sense for the Chiefs to emphasize him, but if if they could get one of their guys going, you know, this offense, it's always been so favorable for the running backs. And yet there have been multiple games. Now they struggle to run the ball against the Raiders, which was bizarre. And so it, a lot of question marks there. The thing that I think is in danger of happening. And I think you like it from an excitement perspective. Certainly lots of Rotoviz owners, uh, listeners are going to have some Darwin Thompson, if not still on their redraft teams. Totally true. I do. When you look at the lack of explosiveness that they've gotten from that so far, then, you know, Darwin is the guy where you would like to see him because he might be able to add a little bit of that electricity that we've seen from the smaller backs this year, that we've seen from, you know, someone like an Aaron Jones that we see weekly. You know, these are apples and oranges comparisons, but some of these smaller guys like a Christian McCaffrey, perhaps the Chiefs need to get their smaller running back, their explosive running back in there and see if that opens up the offense. If they do and they have a four-person committee, you're kind of back into that San Francisco mindset where even though you love the offense, it's very difficult to figure out how to play. And the last two I'm going to ask together, I'm going to ask two wide receivers together. One has not popped because of injury. The other one has not popped, it seems, maybe because of the quarterback change or just not getting to the level that we saw in the preseason. Saints wide receiver Traquan Smith, he's been injured, but last year came back, had some big-time performances. His return is going to coincide with Drew Brees as well. And then the other one is wide receiver Curtis Samuel, who really has struggled getting consistent looks with Kyle Allen, a quarterback. He's certainly dynamic. I think he's a better all-around receiver than 
DJ Moore when, in fact, he really wasn't a receiver in college. So what are your thoughts on Traquan Smith, if he can get healthy there with Drew Brees returning, and Curtis Samuel here in a Panthers offense that's clicking, but he's really not producing? I love both of these guys and and have them on some best ball formats, which thankfully that at least allows you to answer those questions or not have to answer those questions uh, because they're so exciting and yet the points, as you mentioned, not been there. A little bit different situations. I, I love both DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. Christian McCaffrey in that backfield have a lot of Greg Olson and going to the weekend like you know all these guys are not going to score with with McCaffrey being the focal point and the quarterback play it's been frustrating because even before the injury I mean Cam Newton was not passing very accurately there the Panthers are so frustrating because Moore and Samuel get open they're so fast Samuel like you mentioned you know blazing speed you know great change of direction ability I mean he gets open and then you know they don't hit him and he gets open everywhere right he's one of those guys where you can do the manufactured touch at the line of scrimmage you can do the reverses you can do the different handoffs and then he's been getting open deep which people love because if they could hit on a couple of those plays then you have big points in a hurry so it's coming with him it's just a matter of start sit is very difficult traquan uh still have him stashed on a few rosters he's a difficult person to hold through this time period but i agree with what you're saying traquan has been one of our guys that offense you know they even got it humming last week without breeze when he comes back defenses it, it, in, in many ways, it's surprising that defenses don't sell out even more simply to stop Kamara and Michael Thomas, what he's able to do when everyone knows what's coming. And you look about that, look at that with even some of these guys who are amazing players, you know, like a Juju Smith-Schuster, for example. Now there's a quarterback situation there and potential injury situation. But Michael Thomas, to go out when everyone knows he's going to get 150 yards and he's going to be the guy on every single play and defenses can't stop him. It, it's just remarkable. Clearly, defenses are going to continue to try and do that. Traquan is one of those guys, a little bit like we saw last year, where he had a couple of those performances with multiple touchdowns, big yardage. You know, he could be your guy with a couple of thirty-point performances. The question is always whether or not you would have him in the line, have him in your lineup. And you know, if you do, then you get the points. If he can add a little bit of consistency, then he could be one of those playoff winners. And so. In shallower leagues, you know, probably on waivers, but you're watching him. You know, just try and add him a little bit before that offense breaks out again with Drew Brees. Especially because Jared Cook has really not popped, and Ted Ginn, of course, is very feast or famine. So you're right. If he can get some consistent targets, I, I think he could really be a league winner second half. When I'm doing research, Sean, late at night, there's a few movies that pop up, and I sort of am happy and sad. I'm, I'm sad because I know I'm going to have to watch it now, but I'm happy because some of my favorite movies really draw my attention. Anything Jason Bourne, Mission Impossible, that's right at the top of the list. So what are some of your you know, must-stop to watch movies that could pop on television late at night and, and sort of pull your interest away from doing research? Yeah, those are great. I think that the the action and the way that those are done you know, makes those very addictive. A couple of you know, slightly different types of movies, The Royal Tenenbaums, you know, that comes sure, on. Sure, of course. Yep. Yeah, it just amazing – my contention would be that if you put the Big Lebowski and the Royal Tenenbaums together, that you probably have more good lines in those two movies. Absolutely. Than great point. Every other movie combined. <laughs> right. Great point. Which, yep. Now, you know, there have been a lot of great movies, but you, you just take those two and they could stack up against everything else. Another one that is a, sort of a controversial movie, a lot of people love it. And then a lot of people either claim not to get it or think it's 
you know, silly, you know, not certainly not profound or not fun the way that that some some of us feel. But Inception is one of those movies. Ah, it's awesome. Yes, yeah, definitely. The plot, you know, the action, the individual scenes. You know, one of the things that that I really like, you know, whether it's a TV show, movie, a book, are stories that have people that have concepts that have plots and that have individual scenes that hold together right you don't want to be excited just at what might happen at the end or you know just on the characters or something like that you want it to be something where each individual moment each individual scene holds together and has tension and excitement um, in and of itself and i think that inception is is one of those movies that is so fun on, on so many different levels which you know is probably directly <laughs> you know what, what what they're trying to do so uh, both of those movies would pull me in among my my favorites you know my top five all time those are excellent i agree if i see that spinning top sean i'm done in inception i'm gonna have to sit there and watch it we have a question here from a listener solve the melvin gordon austin eckler conundrum for me i have eckler of course he's been fantastic he's number one overall in targets among running backs he's number one in receiving yards he's number one in receptions but with gordon coming back are you still comfortable starting eckler as an rb2 rest of schedule in a half point ppr i am i've had trade offers for him from people who and they're not necessarily bad trade offers it's not like they're offering nothing uh, but certainly with with gordon coming back in there's this idea that eckler will go down and he will go down you can't split touches with someone the caliber of a melvin gordon and have your numbers not drop but to a certain extent you know these guys have to get some breathers anyway and we've seen what the chargers can already do with both guys and i think you can even make an argument for it becoming more 50 50 than we saw last year when eckler was a viable starter last year in the, the lesser half of that committee you watched the game last week it's difficult because obviously Gordon's coming back. It's not fair to him to say, oh, well, he didn't look that great in his time back. But he's a little bit one of those guys like some of the other you know, top running backs where certainly he's going to be better if he has a little bit of a path to the second level. And then, you know, you're dealing with this big, quick, fast running back who's, who's difficult to bring down can get these big chunk yards. But Eckler has that short area quickness, you know, very tough for his size you know so similar to christian mccaffrey in terms of the explosiveness and the thickness in that small package and then when you're looking at an offense that has some needs at the receiving position and is going to be struggling to maintain some of these drives without an elite receiving back in there he just fits so much more what they need to do in the moment and you've got to think that based on what's happened, that perhaps he has more of a future with the team and that they feel better about him as as just a teammate, you know, someone who has been the guy, right, has been the heart of their team so far. So, you know, that's not to say that Melvin Gordon isn't going to play a big role. He will. He should be good. But I mean, Eckler is too good to suddenly not be still a big factor in fantasy, even in, in half PPR. Totally agree. I'm rolling him out as my RB2 in a lot of half PPR, full PPR leagues. We're going to stay in the AFC West. A lot of AFC West questions this week. Person writes, love the mailbag. Want to know your thoughts on Cortland Sutton. 
wide receiver seven in week four, wide receiver 14 this past week, seems to have taken that wide receiver one role from Emmanuel Sanders. So do you trust him no matter what as a wide receiver two, or is he still matchup dependent here in an offense that obviously is not one of the top in the NFL? Yeah, so Sutton and Sanders have similar expected fantasy points. So you look at how their volume translates into fantasy points, and they're similar. But as the listener points out, that's gone very heavily in Sutton's direction the past three weeks, where Sutton owns a 42-23 edge. And he's also had a huge edge in points over expectation and taking that volume and translating it into fantasy points. And while you would expect some of those things to bounce around, I expect the usage to bounce around. I expect the efficiency to bounce around. Sutton is a guy with his emerging profile as as just really a star in that offense that you would like to see continue to gain ground, continue to separate himself. And as we saw with the 70-yard touchdown, he's got that big play ability. He's got the red zone ability. Sanders also a big play guy, but I think maybe a little bit more difficult to hit, you know, with Joe Flacco being a little bit scattershot on some of those passes. Sutton was one of our top second-year breakout candidates, a perfect guy to make the leap. We're kind of seeing that. And, Again, in a Broncos, Joe Flacco offense, there are going to be some down weeks. But I love Sutton, and and he's going to be in my lineup through the peaks and valleys as we go forward. Yeah, I agree. I think Sutton is an automatic person that you can plug in, and he's someone we've been waiting for here, and he's starting to provide that consistency. And of course, Sanders is older, you know, coming off the incredible rehab from last year. But as the year goes on and the injuries start to pile up, I I like Sutton as well. Sean, I need you to settle the age-old debate. Pepsi? Or Coke. Yeah, so this is I this question came up because I told Mike that I'm a big soda drinker and <laughs> certainly, you know, we've got some serious health issues going on with that. Um, I drink the diet soda, which again, serious health issues with that. But within that context, Pepsi or Coke, and I like this because it really depends on the context. You get the the diet cherry Coke and you're set. That's probably the best drink out there. If you don't have, you know, if you're in a fountain that doesn't have the cherry, then you're looking at the Pepsi. The diet Pepsi has, you know, that weird kind of fun taste that, you know, Pepsi has. Some of these Pepsi machines have the little uh, flavor shots. So, you know, you eat that really super unhealthy diet Pepsi, you know, you put that, uh, unhealthy cherry or strawberry flavor shot in there, you know, you're set for, you know, two or three hours of, of working on fantasy articles and uh, you, you go Pepsi every time on that one. It's been a debate for years. And another debate that's gone back and forth is how to get the perfect shave. Humans have been trying to get that perfect shave for thousands of years, and the secret really hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or those heated handles, and neither do you. What I use, folks, is Harry's razors. Harry's doesn't overcharge you, have all the gimmicky features. They focus on delivering what is needed, a sharp, durable blade at a fair price. I love Harry's because it gives me a close shave. It's an easy glide, low price. You have to check out Harry's com and use the code blue wire for your free trial today it's essential you have those durable blades at just two dollars per blade harry's is really convenient blade refills are delivered directly to my door and on schedule with or without a subscription there's no risk to trying them out if you don't love the shave you let them know and they give you a full refund i've loved it i haven't returned one Listeners on my show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com backslash blue wire. You get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, and rich lathering shave gel with aloe that keeps your skin hydrated, as well as a travel blade cover, which keeps the razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Folks, trust me, you won't be disappointed. Go to harrys.com backslash blue wire and start shaving better today. 
Sean, it's time for fantasy football momentum. So my question is, are these players going to continue their momentum off their week five performance? All of these will assume half point PPR. First one I'm going to go with is a guy who just wasn't good in week five. And we have an article up on the site about him is Gardner Minshew. Third consecutive game with two touchdowns, no interceptions. He had a season and a career high, 374 passing yards. Is he a legitimate QB1 until Foles comes back or maybe even beyond? I I hope so. I think so. I traded for him in one of these super flex leagues after multiple guys went down for me early in the season. And you're thinking, well, maybe I can just get across the gap. And now you're thinking, maybe I've got the guy for the long term because he looks fantastic. He's one of the most fun players in the NFL already uh, from a Jaguars perspective where they really could use not only a, a a good quarterback all nfl teams could use a good quarterback they could use some soul some spirit uh, something to kind of build their team around from a narrative perspective and this guy has all of that but the thing i think you're excited about from a football perspective beyond just the fact that he's got a big arm and has been connecting with these guys down the field he's finding his stars one of the things i think is the most frustrating is when you're watching the games and you get like the the 15 targets to austin hooper and you're like uh Seriously, you've got Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, and you're letting the defense dictate where you're going to go. Minshew, 11 targets to DJ Chark last week, 11 targets to D.D. Westbrook, uh, starting to bring him out as well. This offense starting to look like a real NFL offense, and not only that, but a good NFL offense. And he's the reason why I think you know there are, there are going to be some down games uh, with a late-round rookie, but... Uh, I think I think he's got a bright future. It's been very exciting so far. And I certainly think he's going to have another solid game at home against the Saints this week. I agree. I think the D.D. Westbrook game is coming. He's really looked good last couple of weeks. And you mentioned Chark at the outset. He's a legit starting wide receiver here in fantasy and in the NFL. So big things in Jacksonville. Patriots running back Sony Michelle, 91 rushing yards, touchdown. More importantly, last weekend's the Redskins, three receptions, 32 yards. Is he finally trustworthy as the Patriots' lead running back? I, I, I don't know about this one. I, I have him in the Apex Experts League where I had a zero running back start, and he was available, I think, in the seventh round. And you're thinking, well, he doesn't fit my profile. He's one of those landmine running backs, right? But in the seventh round, we're looking at a little bit different thing. It turns out that even in the seventh round, that was not a great pick so far. However, things are going more in the right direction. When he came out, he was being compared to Kamara everywhere. And what we've seen so far is really the exact opposite. Not a bad player, but someone who has not brought that receiving ability to the table. The way they run this offense, James White being such a factor and the multiple approaches that they take. Number one, the total points aren't necessarily there. And then number two, he's a difficult start each week. So certainly if you have him as an early pick, I you know really sympathize. And hopefully he continues to do at least – a little bit has a few more games like this i do think that he's someone where he's both a buy and sell guy and dynasty because after a game like this you're going to see some really strange valuations so if you see someone who's desperate to get rid of him you might pick him up here if you have somebody who else in your league who's interested in him you know probably a good guy to go ahead and sell if you can get realistic value this week you mentioned calvin really that's my next person here the question is is he trustworthy i loved him in stacks last week in dfs because of the Texans' ability to limit tight ends. They really limited Greg Olson of the Panthers the week before, and it does seem like Ridley and Hooper are are competing for targets in the same sort of area of the field. Do you think Ridley has finally shed that, you know, underachieving 
label that he's had so far this year, or do you think he's still going to vacillate with the production with Hooper moving forward, who, by the way, is the tight end one this year right now? Yeah, this one has been incredibly frustrating because the Falcons are not good. And it almost seems like they're not good by design. Sean, you can get anything you want in that Falcons defense every week. Totally agree. The, it's almost like the Falcons and their new offensive coordinator who is coming off of a season where he got fired from his previous job for underperformance don't realize that they have a first-round pick from 2018 who then had a monster rookie season. Because – as a big Calvin Ridley owner, you know, you, you're watching these games and the players you own, like you have just laser <laughs> eyes for them in terms of where they are on the field, where they're lining up in the formation, obviously what their jersey number is. And you know, even where, I mean, certainly you're watching the game and you're thinking to yourself, what's going to the, what, what will the progression be, right? When the quarterback drops back, is he looking to my guy's side of the field? And with Ridley, one of the things that has constantly happened in the first month is you look out there and you're like, well, it'll be one thing if he were even on the field, right? Because we've got Muhammad Sanu, who somehow now is a focal point of this offense. We have Justin Hardy. There's a lot of rotation of personnel in this offense. And and that's frustrating in the same way that, I mean, certainly no Cooper Cup owner can ever complain about his production. But when you look out there in some of those early drives, he's not on the field, you know, you're thinking, this is your best player. Calvin Ridley, obviously not the best player. Julio Jones stays on the field most of the time. But the Falcons, I think, would really benefit and wouldn't get themselves as often. Now, you mentioned their defense, terrible. So they're going to give up points. But if you're assuming that you're going to be giving out 28, 35 points by the middle of the third quarter, you can't wait until that time period to start running your own ideal offense. And so I think he's going to play more. I think he's going to be more involved, but I don't trust anything that the Falcons are doing right now. So I certainly would not say, oh, you know, Ridley is trustworthy. Well, another person who I want to know if you think they're trustworthy is Seahawks wide receiver Tyler Lockett. He only got two targets in that first game against Cincinnati, but he caught the 44-yard touchdown reception, sort of saved his his week. After that, 12 targets against Pittsburgh, 14 targets against the Saints, and the Tyler Lockett believers were out there saying, here we go, here comes the season. But since then, against Arizona and the Rams, four targets, four targets, PPR wide receiver 39, PPR wide receiver 22. Is he a trade target that you think you can buy low off those two weeks? Or are you leery of his lack of consistent offensive production? Well, Lockett was one of the guys I was selling in Dynasty this offseason simply because his value was so high and justifiably so. He was one of those guys that uh, when Curtis and I were putting together our board, we debated just how high we wanted him because we knew he was going to go early and we love him as a player. You look at that touchdown he scored last week and – I mean, Russell Wilson is just trying to throw that ball away, right? I mean, perhaps not. He's, he's certainly put it up in a spot where only his receiver can yeah. get it. But that's yeah. one of the greatest touchdown catches I think any of us have ever seen. Absolutely. Yep. And so, you know, Lockett, fantastic player. But I don't own him a lot simply because of what you mentioned, this target situation and the way that they want to run their offense. Now, the biggest mistake that I've made this season, and it was a huge mistake, right? I go on the different shows and say, you know, I'm wrong all the time. I have every confidence that the overall structure of the drafts is going to work. Certainly in the long term with Dynasty, it's going to leave you with juggernauts. In the short term, you know, as you move through the season, you're going to have some very good teams. But, you know, we're all wrong. I'm certainly wrong. I let my 
just complete and utter love for Stefan Diggs as a player. And I really do think he's an Antonio Brown talent. Overshadow the fact that their offense, the whole point of their offense is to not use him. Right? You can't go out there and draft in the third, fourth round range a player like Diggs where the offensive coordinator is like, yeah, you're, you're not in the game plan. Tyler Lockett was the other guy who was kind of like that for me where I was able to resist because it's just so difficult with what Seattle does to feel like he was going to get the volume. Now, the guys who play with Russell Wilson, they have phenomenal efficiency. They can have those spike games and certainly if you had to choose between the guys you know i would rather have lockett than Diggs, and so made the wrong decision in terms of even which one of the two guys to to draft if you had to draft one of them but yeah this this is a problem i think in terms of the price for lockett is simply that those targets are going to be inconsistent and so the volume is not necessarily what you want from a guy at his price range uh, Jack Miller has the buy low report on Rotoviz. Uh, again, another great weekly series. Have to check out the site, folks, if you haven't. There's just articles that get produced every week that give you great insight. He talks about players that have the easiest schedules coming up. And I'm curious to get your, your opinion on some of his potential buy lows. He mentioned Mike Williams of the Chargers, who's back off of injury. And of course, you saw teams are going to focus on Keenan Allen, certainly did last week here with the Broncos. Uh, Marcus Valdez-Scantling of Green Bay. Who do you have consensus about with Jack's article? You know, some players that you think really are sort of by lows here moving forward. Well, Jack has done just a great job with this. And, you know, you mentioned the schedule basis. We have Dave Cabin's uh, fantasy strength of schedule streaming app, which will allow you to see what the schedules are coming up for all the different positions in whatever chunk that you want. And using Dave's advanced schedule strength metrics. Yeah, there, there are some fun guys here. Talks about Hawkins, talks about Woods, talks about Williams. Uh, those are all guys that I own and like. Certainly, if you saw the Texans game this past week, everybody obviously familiar with it. Hopkins, not as involved, but certainly you should be enthusiastic about the fact that defenses are going to have to take um, Fuller into consideration. Hopkins, just so much defensive attention and yet so good if this offense improves in the passing game and hopefully we can get just a few less of those uh, Carlos Hyde first and 10 second and 10 drive killing handoffs and then the Texans you know could score 40 50 points almost every week so Hopkins if the owner is frustrated certainly you got to get you're going to have to pay Robert Woods had the big game two weeks ago, disappointed again last week. Uh, you know, targets split so much in this offense, but I certainly expect it to balance out a little bit more between Cup and Woods there. Could be a you know top 15 in that 10 to 15 range the rest of the season, and this would be the buy window for him. Mike Williams is an interesting guy. What, what are your thoughts on him? I, I can't be super unbiased because I have him on a lot of different dynasty teams and you know some dynasty best ball kinds of things. Seems like a player who is always sort of on the verge of breakout and a lot of volume with the deep shots this past week. Is he going to finally emerge and, and give us this really good one-two punch with Keenan Allen? I, I like Mike Williams. I think he brings a skill set there that they need. Uh, there's no Hunter Henry, so of course Allen is going to dominate the middle of the field. But 
Allen is not your typical speedster, right? He's not a, a Tariq Cohen-like super quick person. So he kind of attacks the zones and he dominates those short to intermediate routes. And I think they need Williams here. You're going to have Austin Eckler, who's going to run a similar route tree to Keenan Allen. So I think Williams is a definite buy low. I love the article there that Jack wrote because I think he's somebody who is unique in that offense. And the Chargers defense has not been at the level we thought it was. Hopefully Melvin Ingram comes back this week, but they need to start putting up points. And I think that in that offense, I mean, you want to go with Travis Benjamin, Williams is a guy that has to perform to keep things open for them, especially back of the end zone. I remember, Sean, last year, that Kansas City Chief game away when they won three touchdowns. I mean, that shows you all you need to know right there. Yeah, he's a he's one of those emerging players. And I think that if he could get a stretch and one of the things even at Clemson was one of those players where they did not use him as much in their offense as you might have expected. Part of that, they didn't need to, they're blowing everybody out. They've got all of these other guys on the team as well who are going to go on to the NFL, but you just would really like to see him as someone who's more than, you know, just a secondary target to, to really buy in and, and feel like he's going to be, you know, a top 20 fantasy wide receiver but certainly the opportunity seems to be there the talent seems to be there he's got a quarterback in philip rivers who can clearly support some fantasy players so uh, this would be the time to buy let's dial up our week six lightning round here so just pick the player you think will have the better week six performance of course assume half ppr give you two names you tell me which one you like better this week bigger running back smash spot ezekiel elliott at the jets or mark ingram at home against cincinnati well, listeners probably know me as an Ingram skeptic, but I'm going to go in his favor this week and say that he could be the four touchdown guy in a game where you expect them to roll over the Bengals. You know, it's interesting, Sean, as I feel like Gus Edwards is a very sneaky under the radar DFS play, just like Tony Pollard against the Dolphins. If Ingram gets in early, he's going to be fantastic. If for some reason, though, Lamar Jackson runs in and they end up getting a big lead and Edwards comes in in the second half of that game, you, you never know. It's always risky. I understand that, but I, I think it's tough to pay on on Ingram against Cincinnati. Two road wide receivers who are in tricky spots. We talked about Tyler Lockett. He's at Cleveland. Teams are never as bad as they seem the week before, so I think Cleveland will bounce back there and have a good performance. Or Kenny Galladay against a tough Packers secondary uh, at Green Bay on Monday Night Football. The Packers, as you mentioned, have been very, very good this season. Kenny Galladay, one of those guys that I think you know we can categorize as sort of a true road of a sleeper. I've traded him away in most of my leagues because, as a Lions fan, you know what they did again last season, where they refused to use their stars. You know, so frustrating. But they've been fun this year, right? And Matthew Stafford has been one of those top guys in terms of passing fantasy points over expectation. I think if they want to win this, they have to go to their stars. They're going to try and funnel those targets through Kenny Galladay. I think he's going to have a sneaky big game here in this uh, Monday night battle. Who do you think is going to love jolly old England better? We have Mike Evans. Jameis Winston came out today, put on Twitter that we have to find a way to get him involved, which of course is a huge sigh of relief for fantasy owners. Or DJ Moore, who again is not your typical, he almost runs the exact opposite route tree of Mike Evans, but hasn't really been dominant here with Kyle Allen. So who do you like better over in uh, the pond in the game in London? Mike Evans of the Bucks or DJ Moore of the Panthers? Well, Evans has just such a high ceiling you know you go through and you open up the nfl stat explorer that mike beers was put together that has the most amazing nfl stat charts you'll ever see and you look at evans and he has all of these massive wide receiver one weeks and then for someone who has the total points that he's had 
so many wide receiver three weeks and then the occasional zero. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. you know, you get that after that game they had last week. I mean, they've got to get him involved, not even really from a tactical perspective, but just from a, a psychology perspective for that team. He, he has to be the guy. So I think he's going to have a monster week. And then last one here, better tight end play this week. You have Vance McDonald at the Chargers with Devlin Hodges, who certainly is going to be looking for a safety blanket in the short to intermediate route tree or Gerald Everett to keep it going against San Francisco at home? I, I don't know what to make of, of the Steelers. And I felt like Vance McDonald was one of the players who, and again, you know, I mentioned I'm wrong about these things all the time, but, but Vance McDonald looked like an overvalued player to me this season. And so I've got to go with my sleeper pick. Got to go with Gerald Everett. Um, Picked him up again in a lot of leagues. Played him in some leagues last last week even. Uh, certainly had him on the bench in some leagues where he would have won it for me. Uh, and in all of those, I think that he's had his best week of the season. But if Everett can emerge, then that offense becomes something else. And certainly, I think, fun for fantasy. So I'm going to go with my heart here and say that Everett keeps it going against a very good 49ers defense. I'm curious, such a big sports fan as yourself, what's the best sporting event that you ever attended in person? One that you got to see live that just will stick in your memory forever? Yeah, look, I have a pick sort of two quick ones here. And then I had the opportunity when I was living in New York for a year and a half or so uh, to go to a couple of U.S. Opens. And uh, some listeners will know that I have a little bit of a tennis background. You go out there, you see these guys, you get to be sort of on the side courts where I've seen some of the sort of up and coming young players before they broke out to be megastars. Had a chance to see Novak Djokovic and seeing a top 50 tennis player in the world in person, certainly seeing them, you know, a matter of feet away is is something that you can just never really replace. I also had this just once in a lifetime football experience. I've been to Arrowhead a bunch, you know, lived in Kansas city, but had an opportunity to go to a Monday night football game the year after they lost uh, in the AFC championship game and get a little revenge sitting front row 50 yard line. I'm not the kind of person who necessarily has those tickets. Almost all of my arrowhead experiences growing up would be sort of in the very last row freezing to death. Uh, so going to this Monday night game, 50 yard line, seeing the chiefs win by uh, a, a huge chunk blow out their opponent uh, was was really a once in a lifetime opportunity. Those upper deck last row windchill seats are often the best memories that you're going to have. Nothing wrong with that. Sean, this has been amazing. I mean, so much robust content. Can't thank you enough. One more question, then I'll let you go. You know, we're in week six now, so we're coming to roughly the halfway point of the fantasy season. You are what your record says you are, right? So there may be some teams that are looking to make a move that have to sort of do something here to get right and get that second half of the season pushed towards a fantasy playoff berth. Who's the player that early on people may have drafted round one or round two that they may be hanging on saying, you know what, I I can't trade him now. He's too low. But you feel that you really should let go or a player who has performed well that was drafted early that you're saying, you know what, I, I think it's time to cut bait here. Who's that player that people have tremendous draft capital in, but you were sort of hesitant on to to buy for the rest of the year? Yeah, so I think that, you know, this can go a couple of, of different directions. And I think, you know, we tend to look at trades as, okay, well, you know, what are the exploitable opportunities? And you certainly want to do that. You want to bring up our streaming app and see, you know, where the schedule is soft, where it's hard, where you need to make these moves. But you also want to look at it from the perspective of, 
different teams have different needs. And if we can do a mutually beneficial trade that gives us both a better chance to win, then I think that's, you know, that's the perfect trade. I mean, you want it to be something where the trade is a win for you, is a win for your trade partner, and is a loss for the other 10 guys. Because you want people to come to you with trades, as many of those trades as you can be in. I mean, the volume of trades is key. You know, whether it's redraft or dynasty, every trade you do is a win for you and your partner, a loss for the other 10 players. So it's clear cut how that, you know, how that needs to work out. Odell Beckham and Tyree Kill are a couple of interesting guys. One who's been a huge bust, even though he's had some volume. And Hill obviously then, with the injury... Some of these teams who have struggled through this are going to feel like, okay, well, my only real chance to get back in it is to hold on and hope things turn around or is to hold on and hope Tyreek Hill scores as many points as it takes to get me back in it. But that may not be the way to go, right? If there's a 4-1 or a 5-0 team out there who could trade you two good players and you would trade them Hill or Beckham, get their starting lineup better, improve their chances to win the whole thing. But getting those two guys would help you roll out the type of deeper lineup through the rest of the season that would allow you to claw back in it. Maybe you're one and four, maybe you're even 0 and five, two and three, somewhere in that range. And getting on a good win streak would help you get that last playoff spot. Well, you know, once you get into the playoffs, then it's a little bit of a, a coin flip. You know, maybe you can then beat the Hill, Hill owner or the Beckham owner in the playoffs, in the semifinals, you know, get that big upset. But those are kind of the guys where I'd be looking at both ways to either buy them if I'm 5-0 and or to sell them if the opposing owner is willing to make a fair enough trade that that gets me the chance to have multiple guys to really get back in it for the season. Uh, folks, I, I don't know what else you could want here in a, in a Friday mailbag. Sean Siegel, co-owner of Rotoviz. You can hear him on the Rotoviz Overtime podcast with Colin Kelly. One of the true fantasy football Mount Rushmore guys, legend. Just outstanding stuff showing across the board. Can't thank you enough for a few minutes here. And, and this is definitely going to help our, our listeners, not only for week six but, six, but moving on to the future. Thanks so much for a few minutes. Oh, well, it's been great. The mailbag, the mailbag is really cool. These, these questions are a blast to answer. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag of Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and at Randall Rant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.